0: You're about to hear my conversation with Dustin Reed. Uh, Dustin and I talked about all the current events, including the Trump lawsuits, what the Fed is likely to do at the next FOMC meeting, and the phase four fiscal policy. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur and I'm delighted to be here with Dustin Reed. Dustin is the Chief Fixed Income Strategist. Dustin, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks very much for having me, Matt. It's great to be back. It's
0: been a while since we've last had you and certainly a very interesting time. On the political side, we've had the new Biden administration uh, start selecting some appointees. Uh, we have the Georgia runoff, of, of course. We have some talk about stimulus um, on markets. We had a, a gangbusters November with sort of a reflation trade coming uh, on the back of vaccine news. Uh, and of course, we have the FOMC uh, meeting coming up next week. Dustin, what are you paying attention to?
1: I mean, the bulk of my time right now, kind of post elections and, you know, watching some of the tail risk stuff around, you know, what might happen if, you know, Trump was successful. Obviously, that's a very narrow path and, you know, getting smaller by the day. But, you know, as an analyst, it would be, you know, in, you know inappropriate for me to just completely ignore it in case there was a, a material market event, you know, but uh, it does very much look like Biden is going to be, you know, the next the four six president of the United States, and bring in that administration. But, um, you know, kind of beyond that, I've spent a lot of time on the Fed. Uh, the Fed meeting next week, I think, is important uh, in terms of the, um, you know, the next calculus for how the Fed's going to move forward. And then I would say the third thing that I've been spending a lot of time on is the um, the fiscal discussion around, uh, you know, the so-called phase four um uh, you know, policy that may happen, uh, by year end, you know, it looked off for a long time. You and I have talked about that before on a few podcasts, uh, mm-hmm. that seems to have a bit of a new life, albeit at a lower notional level. Um, and so kind of combining all those things, at least, uh, kind of near term to get us through year end in terms of risk appetite, uh, and what it means, particularly in my space, fixed income, uh, FX, uh, those are kind of the main, the main three themes.
0: Great. Well, why don't we why don't we dive into a little bit more uh, conversation on those three themes. So let's start uh, with the uh, you, you said the tail risk event of of Trump being successful in some of the, the lawsuits. Um, are you willing to, to say at this point that the probability is nearing to zero or is there still some light that uh, that Trump could um, find some sort of recount or or, um, or make a case?
1: Yeah, I think it's absolutely trending towards zero. I mean, originally I was kind of in the 5 to 10% camp and then moved towards five and then, you know, kind of five trending towards zero. And I think we're kind of in the small single digits here uh, and maybe at best, you know, Texas has filed. the Texas AG has filed a uh, a case uh, with this, su- well, it effectively de- defaults to the Supreme Court. If Texas is suing three or four other states, including Michigan, Georgia uh like Wisconsin and maybe uh, Pennsylvania and uh, I'm not a complete expert but my understanding is when you have when you have states suing other states it basically defaults to the Supreme Court um in this particular matter and so the question is is the, is the Supreme Court going to you know take up the case a and then b you know who who knows how the Supreme Court will will rule uh, but the the you know there's kind of two been two paths here one's kind of the fraud path you know voting machines you know ballots in the middle of the night that sort of thing. then the other path has been the um you know we've had states uh change their voting rules uh but not taking it through the state legislature and it's relatively clear that uh, the constitution says that you need to make state legislatures are the only places where you can make changes to election votes. Um, and so that's the basis of the Texas lawsuit against the other states. So who knows how that goes? So, you know, this is still like dwindling here for a while, uh, or I should say like, you know, happening here for a while. Um, you know, the 14th is a big day in terms of the Electoral College, but, uh, you know, the, the the lawsuits haven't completely gone yet. And it would be, you know, on a on a generally, on a 5-4 court, maybe a 6-3 Supreme Court, And, you know, it's, it would not, you know, it's important to keep an eye on all probabilities, which is what we try to do here. And, uh, you know, can't, you can't say it's a zero. I think, you know, anything is, it's been a wild year and anything is possible. And this is the year for more wild things to happen. So, you know, it's probably a nothing, but, uh, it's one of those things that, you know, I think, you know, you keep an eye on and you see what happens and that's, you know, that's what we're doing.
0: Fair enough. Uh, So maybe we'll leave, we'll leave that there. Uh, You you mentioned the Fed is the next thing that you're, you're watching closely. Uh, What are you expecting out of the the Fed? Are you expecting any, uh, any course shift or adjustment uh, in the, in the upcoming meeting or or what's your general uh, expectation there? So
1: we've had a pretty strong view on the Fed since the summer that the Fed would need to adjust its, what I would call it's COVID, COVID QE purchase program, and extend the duration or extend the weighted average maturity of its purchases, uh, you know, longer uh, than it had been doing. The Fed's basically been buying bonds with an average maturity, average duration of around four and a half years. Um, we think that at some point the Fed's going to extend that to maybe closer to ten years, which would be closer to the QE3 duration if you all, if anyone remembers the uh, the QE3, um, you know, program. I think the Fed wants to do that because it wants to show not that it wants to lower rates per se, but I think it wants to kind of backstop rates and show that it wants to provide liquidity and credit and make it as easy as possible for both consumers and you know small business and medium businesses, medium sized businesses all along the curve, uh, you know for fixed business investment, for consumers, and kind of anything that's you know longer term, uh, not necessarily you know that would be pegged to more the shorter end. Uh, part of the curve. So I think the Fed's going to do that. Um, and for a little while here, we think that the Fed has, you know, is going to do that next week on the 15th, 16th, and it's meeting on the 16th. Um, and, and not to jump ahead, but <clears throat> there's a bit of a calculus going on here, because obviously the Fed has done a lot by many, by many measures. And, sure. um, you know, Powell and co, and rightly so, have said, um, you know, we need, we need more fiscal and we're on the cusp of maybe getting another fiscal package, although maybe it's not huge. And we've just had this issue this week where, um, it looks like they're going to try and attach any, um, fiscal, you know, phase four, um, fiscal funding, COVID funding bill to, um, to the, the government, the government, uh, uh, spending package or the government funding package that was due on this Friday, the 11th, but it looks like they're going to put a one-week stopgap there and kind of punt it to the 18th. What makes that interesting, and I'm kind of going through all that minutiae, is that I think the Fed probably thought that they would have an answer on what kind of fiscal would happen before the meeting mm. on the 15th, right. 16th. But if if the government, uh, if Congress punts it from the 11th to the 18th. You know, now the Fed's going to have to make a bit of a guess, potentially at its own meeting uh, at the 15th, 16th, and not have an answer. That said, I would say, you know, this is not going to be a two or two and a half trillion dollar package, which is what Pelosi had wanted for a long time. It's clearly now kind of, you know, uh, centering around, I would say, I would say seven to nine hundred billion. Um, and the line items are different between the Republicans and the Democrats. But, you know, park that for a moment, and we'll talk about that in a sec. So even with a lower nominal or notional package, um, size package, you know, does the Fed uh, do something next week in terms of you know, <clears throat> moving ahead with you know, a, you know, more tools in the toolkit? I mean, generally this year, the Fed, I would say, has been you know, very proactive, and I would say at most meetings and even intra meeting, has outdoved the market. And um, <clears throat> I would say that the, that's the preponderance or likelihood of the Fed, you know, the Fed's actions, you know, going forward here for a while. And I think that next week is probably no exception. So I still think that the Fed's going to get involved and uh, and add some new types of liquidity next week. I don't think the Fed's exactly thrilled. <clears throat> that it had a few of its uh, programs rescinded by right. the treasury. Although I would say that a lot of that was legal and not, not personal, you know, business, not personal type thing, but still, you know, the Fed I think feels that it had a lot of success with a lot of the programs that it, it had instituted, you know, in conjunction with the Federal conjunction with the Fed, with the treasury um, as a backstop, even if the programs didn't have huge levels of take up. And so I think the Fed probably wants to show that it's still there. It's still aggressive. You know, the commentary between Powell and Mnuchin when they were in in front of Congress as part of the the CARES Act where they're mandated to go in front of Congress, there was a difference. Mnuchin was much more upbeat and constructive and Powell was a little more kind of pulled the reins back a bit. You know, we're going to get there, but, you know, there's still a long way to go. And I think if that's the true tone of the Fed, at least the leadership of the Fed. And I think there's a good probability for, you know, some action next week, not just not just words or lip service. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of part and parcel with our view, at least my view that, you know, long end rates, I'd say anything, with anything from 10 years and out is probably capped. You know, could it grind higher? Yeah, for sure. It could grind higher. But are we going to see a huge steepener here um, out of nowhere? I think it's unlikely. Are we going to see a big rise in, Nominal yields here that starts gapping higher. I mean, I think it's unlikely. Uh, you know, now the risk to that, I think there's enough people in the market that probably now view what I just said as consensus in terms of, you know, what the Fed's going right. to do. So if the Fed does nothing next week, then I actually think you could see, you could actually see some gapping. So if I'm wrong, um, we're probably going to see yields move higher notionally. And 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 the curve's steepen out. Um, and I think the Fed knows this. Uh, uh, so, not that the Fed wants to, you know, pacify markets, and that's its main job. It's not, but um, it probably knows there's an ugly reaction function on the other side if it does nothing. So, I think next week's actually quite interesting in terms of um, how the Fed's going to going to run going to run and 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 uh, you know uh, run its meeting and have a reaction function thereafter.
0: And do you think that there is a um, probability or, or, or what do you think the um, possibility of overdoing it is, I guess? So if the Fed does act and then let's say Congress acts in a, in a way and we'll get to the different line items that are, are being proposed and, and what the seven to nine hundred billion might look like. But if over, Congress overdelivered, is there a downside there? Like, do you think the Fed's worried about doing too much?
1: I don't think so. I don't think we're at a point in the cycle that and again, I'm kind of putting my head in where where I think the Fed is, you know, thinking as opposed to what I'm thinking, because the more important thing is to kind of understand what the Fed's thinking and get that policy right. I don't think the Fed is at that point in the cycle where it thinks, Oh, we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna do too much here. We're gonna overdo it. And again, it kind of goes back a little bit to the Um, the testimony from Powell versus Mnuchin for, you know, the CARES Act in front of Congress. And, you know, with Powell essentially saying, look, we've got a long way to go here. And you might remember the comment a couple months ago, which is, you know, we're not even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates. Right. Right. And that's that's obviously one tool in the toolkit, to be fair. And, you know, most of this discussion now is around the QE you know, additional things in the toolbox. But I think it shows that, you know, it, it kind of underscores kind of where the Fed is at, at least kind of the leadership is at, and where, um, you know, what the tone of the Fed is likely to be for the next few months, if not quarters. Um, you know, I think that, frankly, if the if Congress is able to get a deal together, I mean, that you know, all other things equal, that probably means slightly higher yields and a steeper curve. Although personally, I think most of it's in the price already, um, right. because of the size. Um, like we didn't see a lot of follow through when the, you know, when the headlines started coming out a few days ago. Uh, we saw a big move in you know one one and a half days, and then kind of crickets. So that mm-hmm. tells me that most of it's in the price already. But I don't think the Fed's concerned about overcooking it here. Um, okay. You know, it's, it's it wants to it wants to provide more liquidity on the margin uh, by accident as opposed to less.
0: Fair enough. Uh, so let's let's dive into the um, to the fiscal side uh, and the the package uh, that's being negotiated in Congress right now. Um, you had mentioned Pelosi wanted a much larger package. Uh, looks like uh, you're coming in between 700 and 900 billion. You did reference different line items. Uh, I'm not sure if you want to dive into that or or just talk about the, the package as a whole, the likelihood of it being passed and, and what the key provisions are in it. So I think something gets done,
1: whether it gets done before the end of the year slash Christmas holiday break or whether it gets done early next year. I'm not sure, but it seems like there's enough momentum and I I feel like something's going to get done. So that was kind of always the the B case, you know, but our view was that if something got done, it would be under a trillion. and I think that's, you know, it's going to be a B, not a T. And I think that that's, you know, that's the way it's shaping up, you know, McConnell. You know, Republicans in the Senate have generally been the, you know, I don't want to say the roadblock, but, you know, generally been kind of the pushback on what's been happening here. And McConnell, um, you know, came out with his own package a few days ago at about $550 billion. Um, there was a bipartisan uh, package, which was just over $900 billion. And now we have this kind of joint, um, you know, White House Mnuchin, um, uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy, who runs the um, – who runs Republican? Who's the minority uh, minority leader in the House for Republicans? At nine nine sixteen 916 Um, you know it'll probably come where somewhere in the middle. The the, the main sticking point, a couple of main sticking points. The Republicans, particularly in the Senate, um, want to not have any uh, COVID like long term COVID uh, lawsuits uh, overhanging for business as part of the, uh, as part of the legislation. So I think the latest I saw was, you know, you, you can't, you can't keep, you can't go suing, can't go suing a company or, you know, your employer after six months or something like that, if there's a COVID related issue, the Democrats want that in, you know, and on the other side, the state and local funding, which has been the big sticking point, you know, back in at the $2.4 trillion package with Pelosi, um, the Democrats, particularly House Democrats want, Uh, A lot, uh, not a lot, but but a you know a significant funding for state and local um, governments. Now they've started to kind of get around that with you know there's going to be schools like school funding as part of that line item. Uh, and, that you know, I think almost everybody can agree that schools in this particular day and age in this environment can, you know, can use more funding. So, sure. you know, uh, but not, you know, but the numbers are different in terms of how that's all going to go. And then lately in the last 24 hours there has been a little bit of back and forth over kind of UI premiums and like lump sum, like a lump sum payment to workers versus ongoing weekly checks like we had earlier in the year. So that's kind of a new little sticking point. I mean, I think this all gets ironed out, um, you know, at some point because I think everybody realizes that something's better than nothing. And then, assuming that there is a Biden, um, you know, administration, I, I think that there's probably going to be another kick at the can at this at some point in the first quarter. And frankly, mm-hmm. Biden's already said as much. But you know, we need to get through the Georgia. Senate races, which I guess is something that I didn't talk about in terms of the first three things um, that I'm looking at. Although, although we are, but there's not a lot of information there, um, you know, and see what happens in terms of the Senate, and you because know, that's going to dictate, you know, not all policy, but it's going to have a serious impact on, you know, policy and how uh, and how bills move through Congress, uh, presumably under uh, you know a Biden administration.
0: Uh, fair enough uh, so so going back I guess to to think about both your comments about the Fed uh, as well as the fiscal policy and to translate it from the um, call it academic to the practical uh, what are you what are you recommending in the portfolio how are you positioning the the fixed income in order to take advantage of some of those uh, insights that you have from both the the Fed and the fiscal
1: so you know we've we've got a little bit of uh, duration on, via options for for next week, the Fed meeting uh, in case they do you know outdog the market uh, and come in with a very strong package um, you know then that's more that's more an event play or a tactical play I would say as opposed to kind of a, a structural medium term view um, right. you know, part, part of that part of that's just you know a, a function of our own portfolio and what else we have what else we have going on in there. Uh, And some of it, you know, is just kind of, you know, opportunistic, you know, what's priced, market positioning, you know, all those sorts of things that we look at, you know, from a longer term perspective, uh, I, you know, I I can, again, I can see the yield curve grinding higher over time, we need to get through a couple of events here. And I'm not trying to, you know, (laughs) hedge hedge the question at all. But uh, the Senate, the Senate story in Georgia is important. And it's tough to make big calls on the shape and directionality of the curve until we get a little more uh, clarity on that. But broadly speaking, I'm still in the same camp in terms of mm-hmm. not expecting yields to rip higher and the curve to massively steepen. Um, I think that there's enough a uh, couple things. There's enough economic malaise to come about. You know, vaccine aside. I think there's enough demand, foreign demand for North American paper in this particular case, you know, U.S. Treasuries, um, to kind of buy on, you know, buy on dips in terms of price or anytime you know, yields are higher, you know, kind of uh, take advantage of that. And and I think the Fed is looming. If the Fed is not there next week, and I'm incorrect, I think the Fed is going to do more um, at some point in Q1. Um, the vaccine stuff makes things a little a little trickier. Um, I think the speed of the vaccine, in terms of its efficacy rate and rollout, has you know surprised you know positively to for many sure. people. Um, yeah, it's 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 phenomenal news, and let's let's hope it works. Um, but that makes things you know that makes that makes things a bit challenging, right? I mean, you had, I mean, even in October, the Bank of Canada had its October meeting uh, said that it didn't, you know, it was, it was doing forecasts based on the idea that, you know, mid 22, um, mid 2022 was when we would really kind of get things going for the vaccine. And that's, you know, in those four weeks, not even really, um, you know, the world changed at least in terms of when it can expect to see, uh, the vaccine and the efficacy rate. Right. So it's kind of, so even like big central banks are still having to recalibrate, um, sure. significantly. So you know, as the central banks are recalibrating their their policy significantly, it obviously has an impact on markets and fixed income and and how we and how you know I and we look at things too. So um, you know, I'm just I'm not ready to I'm not ready to just say yields are going to rip higher here for kind of those three main reasons. Obviously the vaccine is is a is a big I want to say it's a risk, It's the wrong term for, you know, uh, <laughs> other risk Right. <laughs> but the vaccine is, you know for, for yields to stay, you know, materially lower and capped, um, a vaccine that allows the world to normalize is going to have a significant impact on that. So, um, it's going to be a very interesting, uh, a very interesting first quarter and first half, just to see how the rollout goes uh, across the world, not only in the U S and Canada, but across the world and how, how society feels, you know, comfort levels in society about going out traveling uh, how various you know states and economies want to reopen businesses or not reopen businesses, um, you know those vary those various things. And hopefully there's success with these four or so you know vaccines. Um, you know some are based on newish technology, and I'm definitely not the expert here, but some are based on newish technology. Some are based on slightly older technology, more along the lines of a flu shot, and just how you know how that all comes together. So it's a very going to be a very, very interesting year, very, very interesting first half. But I, I, you know, it's tough for me to see yields rip higher here in the near term. Um, so we still like, um, you know, a decent amount of duration. We still think that because the dollar is going to be weak and um, and rates are going to stay relatively low, and you still have almost a, I think you're still at a record amount of negative yielding debt globally in sovereign and corporate, you know, sure. bonds. Um, you know, people are going a little further out the curve. Taking a little more risk, so EM is interesting to us. EM local currency debt is very interesting to us. We've been increasing our our weightings in in that. Um, you know, we uh, you know we like a, a couple of a couple of areas, and particularly wherever you can get high real rates. So uh, China government bonds have been very interesting to us in various parts of the portfolio. Uh, Mexico, um, uh, Brazil. Uh, So a a couple, a couple of high yielders, so to speak. So it's been, you know, so we're kind of picking and choosing uh, a few EM names, but at the same time, uh, I like kind of buying a basket in case you have kind of a a sovereign, idiosyncratic sovereign issue that, uh, that blows up a certain name. But we have, we have increased our, um, our weightings to, uh, to China and Mexico over the last, uh, last month or so.
0: Excellent. Uh, Maybe just one last question. You referenced the Georgia runoff a couple of times. Um, You you said there wasn't a lot of data. I know that your uh, when we talked last time, your base case was that Republicans would hold at least one, uh, and then and then hold the Senate. Have you seen anything that changes that base case, or is that where you're still uh, comfortable?
1: Yeah, I I mean, there's not a lot of. I mean, there's not a lot of polling data out for this, and even you know, as we know, the polls have been way off. And you and I have had a number of discussions around why some of the polls I wasn't uh, super happy with and that that kind of ended up being the case. So we don't have a huge amount of data. Um, the polls that I have seen, uh, have suggested that it's very much uh, a very close race Mm -hmm. and, uh, even, even with the Democrats leading. So, you know, uh, it's, again, it's too close. It's too close to call. Um, I think there's a good probability that at least one of the races will skew towards the Republican side. Um, but it, it, you know, it, it, it may not, it may not. And, uh, I'm looking to see, uh, where we are kind of the week before, uh, the election, which might sound obvious, but, um, I'm hoping that, uh, the, the pollster that got a lot of the presidential race correct, um, even if he had his overall call wrong, he had, you know, he was very close They He, they were very close on the numbers and they happen to be headquartered in, in Atlanta. Uh, nice. and I'm curious to see if they do polls and kind of where they are. They, te- these guys, I think will tend to come out a little closer to the actual, uh, date January 5th, uh, in terms of releasing polls. So if they are doing state poll I'm interested to see because they seem to have a very good way of understanding the, um, the electoral sample and getting the right, the right sample sizes in there, which kind of, uh, you know, gets you a little closer to the pin, if not exactly on the pin. Um, so that I'm waiting for that, uh, before kind of making more definitive calls. But I think that, I think it'll be tough for the Democrats to pull off both seats, but, um, the initial inkling or initial implications from the polls that I've seen are that it's, it's very much a horse race. Um, and this obviously has significant implications. What I, what I would also say, though, and I think I've said it before, but it's worth reiterating, is that even if the even if both the Democrats do win, and it's kind of 50-50, and presumably Vice President-elect Harris will be the tiebreaker in the Senate, I would say that we have a few senators who are willing to cross the aisle on both sides, um, sure. you know, for various policy reasons, and you know and and not everybody shows up to every vote and uh, you know for like for example the you know Fed just uh, the Senate just nominated i sorry the, F- the Senate just uh, confirmed a Trump appointee as a new one of the governors as the, at the, at the Fed the former head of research at the St. Louis Federal Reserve who was you know well generally well liked sure. and i think the i think the overall vote was 48 47 and i hmm. say that only because there's a handful of people. I mean, it's a, it's an important vote. People are generally around people get sick. People have been sick. Um, right. you know, and not everybody can make it. And, uh, you know, so there's a handful of votes. So just because it's 50, 50 with a tiebreaker, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to go that way because everybody's got to show up and everybody's got to vote along party lines. And I think, I think that's a big ask. I don't think that that's going to necessarily be the case on, on many things. Um, for the next two years. So where it's a bigger deal and it sounds a little bit weedy, but where it's a bigger deal, um, in terms of policy is that if the Democrats win both and it's 50, 50 plus one, um, or a tiebreaker, it will be not, McConnell will not be running the Senate. Uh, it'll probably be, it'll probably be Schumer and the heads of all the committees, the chairs of all the committees will flip. From a Republican chair to a Democrat chair, and that means that the policy agenda, whatever is introduced in terms of bills on the floor, you know, investigations, you know, right. uh, what, what, all that kind of stuff is going to be driven from a party that's currently not leading. So even though the votes on various bills are going to be, um, you know, maybe a little bit contested. What won't be contested is that Democrats are going to be kind of running the show. And that has a very different tonality, uh, than what, you know, we've been used to from the Republicans for the last number of years. And that I think the market, it's tough to price what the market's actually thinking about that. But that I think is very important for what's going to happen in terms of like the agenda for 21 and 22.
0: Dustin, that that was uh, that's fantastic. Uh, really appreciate you spending uh, this time with me. Uh, just to to summarize uh, some of the key points that I, at least I took away. Um, it sounds like you know a fair amount of uncertainty uh, heading into the the end of this year, um, where uh, the. Uh, the Fed is likely to cap uh, to extend their uh, their um, QE to, to look at 10-year uh, purchases. Uh, you're expecting a stimulus package to get together somewhere between 700 and 900 billion. Um, and the way that you're thinking about this in the portfolio, a bit of duration, uh, increasing your allocation to EM local currency debt. Uh, have I summarized it correctly? Yeah, I
1: think so. Yeah, I think the Fed's going to, you know, if they increase the weighted average duration, they're going to uh, average it out closer to uh, closer to 10 years. And that'll affect the entire the entire curve. So the long end of the, the curve, the yeah. part of the curve and 20s will probably, you know, sh- should stay a little a little more capped as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think you're right on. So that's
0: great. Thank you. Thanks, Dustin. Really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I look forward to our next discussion. Same here. Thanks very much for having me on. Take care.